was privileged to, to speak. It was a little bit intimidating. It was in St. Paul's, and um, people kept telling me, you're going to be speaking in the same pulpit as John Wesley spoke. And I'm like, how is this helping me? How is this helping me? So uh, it was just like one of those in, uh, moments, and we had to process in, and there was uh, uh, all sorts of, you know, that we had judges, we had uh, the MP, we had, we, we had everyone who, you know, kind of... the. Uh, uh, the goods and the greats of the town, as it were, and the region processing in with Lord so-and-so and this. And there was me. I wore a very nice tie, I have to uh, say. I, I got out. They were all wearing their gowns and their wigs, and I had a really smart tie. So you guys would have been pleased with that. Um, but funny, funny thing was, the kids were looking at the, the program and saying, Dad's not there, Mum. Dad's not there. And, and she looked down and she said, oh, yeah, because it was like Lord so-and-so. And then it said, the preacher, because I don't have a title. So I was the preacher. <laughs> But it was just this immense, uh, you know, standing where uh, Wesley, the great kind of British preacher, preached and uh, speaking to many, I think, who probably never heard the gospel before, and able to talk about the prodigal son and how he found mercy in the arms of his father and how our society is built on justice and mercy and the two together kind of find their um, conclusion in the cross. And uh, it was just a powerful moment um, and also a great privilege. And it really was a, half of me was thinking, what on earth am I doing here? And the other half thinking, this is a great privilege for us as a community, that God has uh, given us great favor in this season um, in many, many different ways. And we have people who are influencing government policy. And at the same time, we have like last week, it was just brilliant to see the night shelter had a week where they moved six people who were formerly homeless into accommodation. That's great. I think, isn't that, isn't that what the body of Christ should be? Influencing government and then putting the homeless into homes and back into families, both in one, in one week. And you seem to think, what a privilege of, of the journey God's got us on. And um, out of that, you know, standing there in this great scene of history last Sunday, it made me think a little bit about legacy. You know, our, every generation is built on the legacy that the previous generation have left them. The, the greatness of the previous generation is the, is the floor on which we build. And we have uh, a great privilege to build on some men and women who've lived before. One of the reasons that Bedford is so full of amazing churches is because of two men, John Bun Bunyan and John Howard, who just gave their lives to preaching the gospel in this town. And our town of uh, 100,000 or so people is very unlike lots of other towns of 100,000 people because of the richness of the heritage that we've been built. We get to do some of the things that we do because of the previous generations. And yet we live in a generation that doesn't perhaps think much about legacy. And uh, we live in a generation often that, that wastes their legacy. I mean, I was reading this week an article of a couple who built, spent their lives building a publishing uh, empire and then left $10 million to Juju. You might think, well, what's wrong with that? Juju was a chicken. <laughs> they left $10 million to a chicken. And it just illustrated something like, in shock. <laughs> Can I meet Juju? <laughs> Can I eat Juju? No. Ten million dollars to a chicken just, just under, helps us understand the craziness of a generation that's lost uh, touch with legacy. And so what we'd like to do over these next few weeks is just look at our legacy. Look forward, really, about what God's asking us to build. You know, the scriptures say, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. We ask each other, don't we, often, what's God saying to you and what are you going to do about it? Well, this is an opportunity for us just to ask, what's God saying to us and what are we going to do about it? And so I've got four or five things that the Lord is going to bring. Probably I'll just touch the first three and Phil can pick up the, the last two next week. 
But, but things that we feel like God is speaking to us over this year and beyond to, to, to what he wants to build here. What legacy does he want to and it, This impacts all of us. Parents, this impacts your kids because it impacts the kind of house that they will be built, born into and raised in. Teenagers, this impacts you because we're going to hand this over to you and you're going to have to take what we've built and take it to the next. So this is for all of us. What is the Lord asking us to build in this house? So a few things. Firstly, this is a house that's built on worship and prayer. We really feel God speaking to us about this again in many, many different ways. One in particular, a guy called Ash Anandani, thank you, is a prophet from Dubai with a difficult to pronounce surname. And he was with us at the prophetic forum this year and he brought a word that he said this, there's going to be a fresh sound coming out of the church. There's going to be a powerful anointing on worship, intercession, prayer, creativity and new songs. And the Lord has just been speaking on that same theme, that he's calling us back to this place. Remember, many years ago, those of us who were around, 10 years ago, God said to us, if you prioritize my presence, you'll get more done by accident than you ever did on purpose. Just want to remind us of that word. And for many of you, though, you know my journey in worship, and you'll know I would never have thought I would build a house that was built on prayer and worship. I was brought up in a, a small Baptist church, and our worship was held captive by Howard the organist. And every Sunday morning as teenagers, Howard would come out and there was a board up on the wall and he would slide the hymn numbers in. Hymn number 16 and we would flick through. Oh, that's not too bad. Hymn number 21, flick through. Okay, not my favorite, but I can get through that. And then the dreaded moment, hymn 115 would go up. You might say, what's wrong with 115? It had 17 verses. <laughs> It had 17 verses with a chorus in between each, chorus, each verse. The same chorus, so you were singing 35 different things, 17 of which were the same. It was so long, somebody died once during verse 14 and nobody noticed. It just went on and on and on. And you'd see that and you said, no, no, not 115, no, please God, no. But then good news would happen. Sometimes, if you were lucky, the pastor would stand up, you'd do verse 1 and then the chorus and verse 2 and then the chorus and he would say, let's just finish with verse 15. And Howard would be like, because he wasn't happy. We were like, thank you, there is a God in heaven. People got saved at that point because they realized there must be a God. So it's not natural for me to build a house built on prayer and worship. I didn't really understand what it was all about. It wasn't a great experience, but I've learned that actually God is building his people on prayer and worship wasn't one of the first things that Jesus said the father is seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and truth worship is natural for us as we grow and learn to encounter and experience God and we worship in lots of different ways and I haven't got time to talk about that but the foundation you look at the early church Acts 2 it says they were found worshiping together praying together was the foundation of the early church our first picture of them our highest calling is our first calling to prayer and worship. And, and, you know, I remember when we first got this building, the, the, there was resistance. The, the person who owned it wouldn't sell it to us, which was difficult. And uh, so as leaders, we came down here. It was like all locked up. No one was using it. We came down here and we stood by the gates at the front. There was a gate there, which we ripped off when we moved in. But anyway, there was a gate there and we stood there. We couldn't get in and we had a little bottle of oil and we poured it out and we prayed as leaders, God, give us this building. And I, in those moments, I want like an angelic choir to arrive and something profound, but there was 
nothing. I think it might have even started raining. It was just nothing, and we just poured this oil and just felt so foolish. But something shifted in that moment. As we give ourselves to prayer and worship, things change. We get more done by accident than we ever did on purpose. He's causing us to a fresh priority. You know, and there's a, there's a worldwide movement of prayer right now going on. Particularly in our nation, there's a, a massive move of God. I think it was last year at Pentecost, there were 5,000 different prayer initiatives all kind of collided on that week before Pentecost. And on Pentecost Sunday, there were five cathedrals across the, the nation that were, were centers of prayer. At Winchester, they said they had 1,000 in the overflow room. In the overflow, there was 1,000. Something's happening around the whole theme of prayer and worship. And, and I feel like the Lord is calling us, we feel as leaders, the Lord is calling us back to this first priority. You know, uh, Isaiah uh, says this in Isaiah 56, one of the great prophets of the Old Testament who saw the people of God in their future. He said this, I will bring them to my holy mountain. He's talking about nations. He's saying this is going to go beyond just the people of Israel. I'll bring them to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted at my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. Notice this, when, when many think of prayer, they think of, oh, it just makes me feel guilty because I don't pray enough. Anyone else? No, you're not going to admit it, are you? Many think of prayer, they just feel guilty, or they feel bored, or they think, I'd rather just be doing something else. But what did Isaiah, Isaiah say? Does he see a group of depressed people who are bored and rather be doing something else? What does he say? He says, I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. <laughs> he sees a people who love to pray, who get joy out of praying. Why would you get joy out of praying, you think? Well, two reasons. One is, God says, in my presence is fullness of joy. <laughs> So as we learn to come in our, in our different ways, and it doesn't look the same for everyone, but as we learn to come into his presence, we should find joy. We should, you should laugh more when you pray. <laughs> Some of you, your homework this week is laugh when you pray. Why else should we find joy? Well, why do you find joy in something? Because you love doing it, because you know it makes a difference. Why will there be joy in his house of prayer? Because we'll realize that when we pray, he answers our prayers, and things change. God is calling us to this in a new why? So we've got this vision of a house of prayer, a house of worship and prayer. And one of the things we did uh, recently was employ Mary to lead our worship team for, which has been phenomenal. She started, started to do that. And uh, we've also asked, um, we can, oh, Mary, you're in. Oh, let's give her a little bit. She led us so well this morning. Thank you, Mary. And... Um, one of the other things we felt, as Carol has uh, led our youth so brilliantly, she felt like that season was going to come to an end, that she would now oversee youth, but actually she was going to step up now, and we've asked her to step up to help us in this whole area of prayer and intercession and learning to pray. And so the good news, guys, is that actually none of us need to pray anymore, because Carol's going to pray on our behalf. <laughs> so if you've got prayer lists and things that you just never get through, you know, you know those prayer lists, just send them to Carol. She will cover it all. It's going to be... Um, no, that isn't what we're doing. <laughs> this is not about one person. This is about us as a community learning to pray. Carol can help provoke us because she can help, hallelujah, she can help lead us. But actually, this is about all of us gathering together into this. This would be called a house of prayer, a joyful house of prayer. I believe God's speaking to us. The second thing was this, and the second part of Ash's word was this. There's going to be a fresh sound coming out of your house. It's going to represent what God is doing in England. There's going to be a recording studio where you record lots of music. 
He's going to bring some real creative people that God will bring into your house. Songwriters, poets, you'll be known for the creation of new material, fresh sounds from heaven. And so the second thing we feel the Lord leading us to in this next season is a house of creativity. And we're so blessed already with so many creatives uh, doing their work and finding their home here. But I just believe there's so much more ahead for us. We see it so clearly in Genesis 1, don't we, where God reveals himself. This is in verse 27, it says this, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Before God reveals himself as a father or even as a lord, before he reveals himself as any of those other things, he reveals himself as creator. He created us in his image to create. I love what Stephen Altrigo writes about this. God is the greatest of all creators. The one who fashioned the sun, the humpback whale, the great Dane, made us in his image. The divine image has been stamped on us. God has given us the glorious task of representing him on earth, of showing the watching world that our God is a creative master who loves to bring beauty out of chaos. When an accountant takes a pile of raw data and fashions the data into a meaningful sales report, he is reflecting the image of God. When a, can we have a hallelujah for Excel? When a, when a woman works the raw soil and causes it to bring forth flowers and vegetables and herbs, she's reflecting the image of God. When an electrician corrals the wild, dangerous electrical currents into light bulbs, he's reflecting the image of God. When a writer assembles into sentences and sentences into books, she is reflecting the image of God. Every man, woman, and child is creative. When we create, it pleases God because he sees, his, he sees us reflecting his image. But creativity is hard work. It takes work to create a poem or a garden or a car engine or a piece of furniture. It requires killing our laziness and working faithfully over extended periods of time. It requires a willingness to receive criticism with humility. It requires sweat and elbow grease. It requires diligence. It requires faithfulness. It's easier not to make anything at all, to just be a consumer. But if we do that, we suffocate the creative gift that God has given each one of us. That's a great quote right there. You know, I, one of my, I've done lots of different jobs. One of my first jobs was, ex, was working with Excel. I was an Excel genius. I'm telling you, I was a genius. I worked so hard on that thing. But you know what? I would create these amazing spreadsheets that did pretty much anything. Short of making a cup of tea, they would do it. The reason Royden and I became friends was because I was the only one who would read his spreadsheets. That's how we got to know each other. And it's this... this this connection, but you do this amazing spreadsheet and you just leave it there and you don't talk to anyone about it because you know no one else will understand. But God sees it as creativity. Raise a hand if you work with Excel and spreadsheets. We just want to thank you for your creativity because it's part of making this world the world that it is. God is calling us to creativity in all sorts of different ways. And, and one of the things, just responding to Ash's word, he said that he saw a recording studio. We want to give money into that to build something, recording, uh, audio and video. You know, there was a, uh, we've had two albums, EPs released uh, just by individuals in the church in the last few months or so. One recently, I couldn't make the launch event. It was in the foyer. It was so beautiful. I walked in at the end to pick up my daughter. We hadn't been able to make it. And it was just amazing. The set was just phenomenal. It was just amazing. It was the first time I thought, I might not be cool enough to lead this church. I, I might have to stop shopping for clothes at supermarkets. It was one of those moments. It was one of those moments where I thought, this is amazing. All of these gifts coming together to produce something that glorifies God. It's just, just such, a, such a privilege to be part of a community like that. So that's the second thing. A house of creativity. 
And the, and the third is this, a house of community on mission. There was, a, there was a man called Tim Keller who numbers of years ago wrote a paper about churches. And he said when churches get to a thousand people, the thing that will hold them together, the thing that will keep them healthy and keep them growing, the thing that will keep them on mission together is their groups. By that point, they've got lots of other things right, but if their groups aren't right, they will not survive to the next step of the journey. And so we really feel God speaking to us through that. And you've seen the investment we've done in groups over recent years. We want to invest more into that area. But, but there's just a, a passion in my gut to see groups transform this world around. You know, some of us are like, well, I've got my friendship groups. Why do I need groups? And the reality is this. Friendship groups would take us so far, but actually they sooner or later become just insular and isolated from the world around. It's if you love this church and you care about where we're going and you care about, I mean, we're receiving 18 to 20 new visitors every week. If you care about that, then care about our groups. Because God has bought us, built us to be a community on mission. You know, when Jesus first came, he said to his followers, he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And when he had that picture, he wasn't thinking of, you know, the guy in the wellies and the, and the barber jacket fly fishing by the side of the river on a nice summer's afternoon. He was thinking of big, hairy-armed men with missing teeth and big bellies pulling in the nets full of fish. Some of you are like, I don't want to have hairy arms, missing teeth and a big belly. Forget that bit. The point is this. He was calling people to join teams of fishermen. That was the picture he had in mind. Teams of fishermen working together in community, in family, and reaching the world around. That's the picture that Jesus gave to us. He said, I'm going I'm to do this in you. I'm going to make you those kind of people. And he's doing that in us. You know, Jesus, when he, when he wanted his followers to go and borrow a donkey for him, he sent two of them. The point is, he's not going to get you to do very much on your own of any significance. <laughs> You're built for community. And that's, this is where creativity and groups come together because it's as we find the things that we love to do that we can form groups around it. You know, who is, who is going to form a group to reach those who are just out of prison? We desperately need one. Some of our guys are so, those guys are so vulnerable when they first come out. We need a group to reach those guys. Who's going to form groups to reach different languages in our town? You know, a, a couple of years ago, we had a, French, a group of French guys. They came, they wanted training, and they wanted to then plant a, a, a church in the south of France, which they're now doing, by the way, and it's going amazingly. But when they came here, I said to them, you guys need to do a group here to reach French speakers. They're like, we don't even know if there are any French speakers in Bedford. They started the group. Within two months, there were 40 people coming to that group. And it showed us we need groups reaching the Polish, the Italians, all these different nationalities. What is God saying to you? How can you be community on mission? We need groups reaching the Hindus and the Sikhs, reaching the villages in the south of town, in the town center, all over the place. We need people to get on board with our vision for community on mission. You know, our nation is in mourning. You know, we've had Brexit, and then we were hit with Brangelina straight after that. We've, and we barely recovered from that. We were still all at sea, and then the greatest, the greatest threat to our national security in the 21st century hit us. The breakup of the Bake Off team. <laughs> we never saw it coming. We thought they were together forever. Who, who wept a little silent tear when that happened? Who is going to start a group for people who love baking? <laughs> 
We need a group. I will not rest until we have a group because we've got a nation, so we've discovered, of people who love baking. And we need a group to reach them. What is God saying to you? What's your passion? What creativity is he put in your heart that you can find someone else in the church and say, oh, I've got a passion for that as well. There's something about this for us on this next step of the, the journey. We want to invest in each one of these areas. We feel the Lord speaking to us. A house of prayer and worship. A house that reaches people through creativity. And a house of community on mission. It's genuine family together. Two other quick areas. One is this, and I won't cover it fully, but just briefly. We really feel like the Lord is calling us in to have a house that raises up many, many leaders. We do that already, but to multiply that, we want to release some resource into that. But the other thing is to have a house of transformation. You know, um, Caroline and I, as I said to you probably six months or so ago, been going to uh, see some marriage support. We've been married now for 17 years, and we just began to talk over probably the last couple of years, and there's just a number of areas where we just got stuck. Sometimes in marriage, you just feel like you've done as, gone as far as you can together, and actually you need some outside help. There's no, there's no shame in that. And so we felt like we wanted to go and get some help, and so uh, we've, we, we found somebody uh, and it's just been a phenomenal time of growing, sorting out some of the issues that we got stuck on over the years and moving forward. It's just, been, it's just been brilliant. We're more in love than we've ever been. It's just been great. But, thank you. My point is, my point is, we are traveling 45 minutes to see someone. And it provoked me and us as a team, as we began to realize there is a massive shortage of trained counselors in this area. There, there are some, but there's a massive shortage. And we feel that actually God is calling us. And we've got, we help lots of people in lots of different ways through Sozo and Healing Prayer. But we feel like the Lord is calling us to invest now in training counselors to build a transformation center. It's going to probably take us a decade to do it. But we feel like we, we don't want people waiting six months Marriages are fragile enough. They shouldn't be waiting six months to get the help they need or having to travel 45 minutes, an hour away to get it. We want to build something here and invest in raising up counselors and, and people who can help people over the next generation. And so the Lord is really, we feel, calling us to, to, to build that in this next season. And the last thing is to build a house of hospitality. You know, just in numbers of different ways, is the number of people that we host. There's something the Lord is doing in us is about growing in our hospitality, it, both uh, hospitality in our hearts, to welcome, to call people in, but also hospitality on this site. And so one of the things is the kids grew by 22% last year, not each one of them, well, I'm sure they did as well, but in number, they need a new room, so we need to build a new room for them a lot sooner than I would have liked, but we've got to do it. And the other thing is our car park, we've got to sort that out, because now we've lost next door as a car park, People come to this fantastic building and then often have to park on the grass and in their high heels or posh shoes, they walk across mud to get in. It is not great. And so we want to grow in our, our uh, house of hospitality. We feel the Lord really speaking to us about hospitality. You know, the early church were first found around meals, eating together. They were first found connecting together over food. What does, it, what does that look like for us in this day and age? Do we feel like we're living out of the fullness of the hospitality that God is calling us to? We feel like there's a journey ahead. So, a few different things. 
And, and I would urge you, just as we close, to join us in this. As we look forward to this next year and beyond, join us. Give yourself. If you feel passionate about these areas, join us in this vision. Ask the Lord, what are you saying to me as part of this? What does that mean for me in terms of creativity or worship or prayer? We can't, if God speaks to us about worship and prayer, we can't just keep turning the handle and doing the same thing and expect different results. He's calling us back to his presence for a reason. He wants to multiply each one of us. For you families, what does it look like to pray together over the next year? How could that change? How could that grow? Singles, what does it look for you to develop your prayer life? We already had a phenomenal prayer evening with the kids and families together. Singles, family, it was just amazing to have 60 or 70 praying creatively. What does it look like for us to call this a house of prayer, a joyful house of prayer? Give yourself to it. I would urge you over this next year, something big in yourself. And the second thing is to, to give financially. We've got a gift day coming up in a few weeks' time. And just to keep considering that to do all that we want to do over this next year is going to take us another £250,000 more than we normally get in a year. And, and that's just a huge opportunity because 35% of our community give regularly. So, and those 35% give 95% of our income, which is a huge opportunity for the 65% who don't give regularly. And if that's you, I'd urge you to think about that and join us. Because if we do all that we do with just the 35% giving, how much more could we give? How could we do if all of us join together in this? And there's, there's sacrifice, there's thinking it through, there's praying it through, but it's just a key journey for each one of us as disciples. One of the things we did last year, we got our giving statement from the church came through, and, uh, and normally Caroline and I would just kind of file, you know, look at it file, it, file it away, and this time we thought, you know what? Our kids sacrifice so that we can give. We, they should know how much we give. And so we just sat down around the breakfast table one morning and just went through it and just gave thanks to God for all that he'd been able to give us that we could then give away. And it was just a beautiful moment when we realized we're making disciples who make disciples. We want to train them to understand the critical discipleship issue of giving financially, investing in what God is doing. So that might be a challenge for, for you guys as you think about your family situation. How can we, as a community, achieve all that God is calling us to? We can't do it on our own. We can't do it through Carol praying on our own. It's got to, I mean, we'll get a long way through Carol praying on our own, by the way. But we can't do it through Carol praying on our own. We can only do it as we do it together. So I'd ask you just to join us this year on the adventure ahead. Amen.